our liaison, our representative at the Yes Conference uh, uh, this year, and she's going to be again next year. So she's another one who's really helpful and really thoughtful uh, uh, with, with everything she says and does, and so we're really great to have her, and we're happy to have her again next year. Um, for us as advisors, uh, everyone else in the team group this year uh, has been a new person to us. Um, we've, we've got uh, Ruby and Maya, who you're going to be hearing uh, play music a little bit later. We, we also had um, Kai and Leo and Sophie joining us at, at various times uh, throughout the year. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a lot of, you know, a lot of people that we're meeting for the first time. And then last year we had a lot of people that were graduating. Some of them I'm really glad to see back this year. So, um, uh, so you know, any of you who have ever paid attention to a high school sports team, you know, sort of know that a year that your entire starting lineup is graduating seniors is very different from the year when you have all freshmen on your team, you know, this year. And for us, it was a very different year. Some of you may have noticed some of the changes that happened this year. There were, there were no waffles this year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah last, last year for about a two, three-month period, just waffles were just flying this way and that, hither and yon. Uh, this year, we didn't do that. Um, and, and, you know, that was a fundraiser that year. That was a fundraiser for us to go to New Orleans, and we didn't get to go this year, uh, which was too bad. We, we, we like to go annually on a, on a service trip, and we have plans to go again next year. But it just didn't work out this year, and so, so that's the way it was. Um, and so I got to thinking, and it's because, and it's for a lot of the same reasons, as the sports analogy suggests, is that we, what we ended up doing was we ended up doing a lot of what I'm thinking of as team building. Uh, I'm really thinking of this as kind of a chrysalis year, uh, if, you, if, you, if you like that analogy, you know, uh, um, where what we did was we thought a lot and discussed deeply about uh, who we are and, um, you know, what the team group is going to be and do uh, and what we want to, to be and do in the world. And when you do that this year, when that is your mission this year, um, the topic for our platform um, shouldn't be all that surprising. Uh, the topic that the teens chose that they wanted to talk to you guys all about, um, other, than, other than graduating, um, the topic that they wanted to share with you was they wanted to share their thoughts on how racism had changed, had transformed over the last 50 years, how, uh, how our perceptions of it have changed and how our responses to it need to change. Um, our year in teen group you know, when you look back on it, it started with Mike Brown and Ferguson in August and is coming up through Freddie Gray in Baltimore now. Uh, and it, it, those weren't the only two. It didn't stop in between. Um, now, that wasn't the beginning or end of, obviously, racism, income inequality, uh, police brutality, uh, mass incarceration, but I, I don't think I'm alone in feeling like this year was a bit different. And what I think the difference was is that, you know, either, one of two things, either the forces opposing those forces, the people who wanted to oppose those forces, found a voice, or people who want to be opposing those forces and haven't been found an ear. Um, and I don't know if it's both of those or if it's some combination of them, but whatever it was, uh, it seems to have happened, uh, it seems to have been led by social media. And the result was that people who are not uh, directly, negatively, dramatically affected by these forces in their everyday lives got a lot greater exposure to it. And what we've seen is that we've seen um, those people in that condition either engage it engage the topics and change their opinions based on the new information, change their outlook, change what they do, or ignore it and 
retrench themselves with, with old beliefs. And as often as this topic came up, and it came up a lot for our teens, uh, they chose to engage it. They chose to engage it and talk about it and grow and, and, uh, and learn from it. Some examples of this were, you know, of this sort of general phenomena were uh, at the YES Conference. YES Conference, for those of you who don't know, YES Conference is a gathering of all the teen groups from all of the ethical societies uh, in America. Um, we, it changes from location to location. Teens lead all of it. It's great. Uh, and they pick a topic and they sort of discuss what they're going to think about the topic. This year they chose um, ethics in science, ethics in, in medicine, and that kind of thing. Uh, it was in New York. The largest contingency of teens that was there was from St. Louis, and it was between the time Mike Brown was killed and the non-indictment of Darren Wilson. It was in that window. It was then. And so, you know, even though they had their topic and they discussed their topic and they did a great job of it, you would always hear sort of side conversations popping up periodically of people talking about how they had directly witnessed uh, uh, racism, how they, had, how they had been affected by it, um, what they felt about it, uh, what they did about it, or what they wanted to do about it. And so from there, our, from there, our year continued. Um, we did a write night. Uh, write night is where you, uh, uh, you get poetry written by incarcerated youth. You write comments on it, and you send it back so that they can know that they're reaching out and, and touching some piece of the world. We did that. Um, we did a get-together with some of the youth from friends and family of incarcerated people, um, and we made a point of going all together and watching the movie Selma and having some you know, pretty, pretty deep conversations after that. Um, as a result of it, and uh, and that was our year, and um, you know those were those were some of the most well attended you know teen group days that we had was doing those things, um, and so it maybe wasn't all that surprising, or maybe it was when uh, when in February they asked us who we wanted to share the plate with, we got the opportunity to choose that. Our teens chose to uh, share the plate with the Ferguson Library, um, who had been a steady, calming, and supportive presence all throughout. The, uh, all throughout the protests there, all throughout that very difficult t- time for them. And now we have this platform um, where we're going to talk about change. Um, because this year and these protests has been a year that, you know, aside from their change, aside from our change, this has been a year that has called for being deeply affected and being deeply changed. Um, it's been a theme that's been running through a lot of the protests that I've seen, a lot of the protests that I've been to. Um, at the eulogy for Freddie Gray, for example, that just happened, um, the pastor, the, the reverend who was there, who was speaking at a funeral, you know, and speaking to the family and friends of the deceased, one of the things that he said, uh, this was uh, Reverend Jamal H. Bryant, he said, um, don't cry because you've got to look like what's about to happen implying that what's about to happen is about to be change, is about to be justice, and is about to be fundamental cultural change. And that fundamental cultural change in the country is, uh, it, it needs to happen around a expanded and updated understanding of what the issues are and what each of our role in it is. Um, and that new understanding, the, one of the strongest voices in it is going to come from the youth because the youth voice is the one that's going to be with us longest. And this year uh, was different largely because of social media, and social media is an inherently youthful place right now. Um, so, um, again, you know, these kids, time after time, they chose to engage at the time. 
they thought that was important. It was important to engage, and it was important to change their thoughts and their feelings about it, and they have. And they've taken that spirit, and they want to engage you all now and, uh, and you know, encourage you to go further in, in your journey than where you are. And this is an issue where the more you look at it, the more you see and the more you change. And so as their points of views are evolving, they want to share with you where they are now with it, and they want to help you along with your journey. And so that's the reasons for why they chose this. And the first one who's going to talk to us about, uh, about her perspectives on this is going to be Idris. So So 50 years ago, people were kind of racist. Actually, they weren't just kind of racist. They were very racist. They actively went out of their way to be racist. It wasn't uncommon for black people to be punched, kicked, or beaten just because of their skin color. It was taboo for people of two different races to marry or have kids or, in some cases, even be friends with each other. Martin Luther King won the Nobel Prize for his work in civil rights and for staying peaceful when others were not. Yet, sometime afterwards, he got punched in the face and then kicked in the groin by some idiot. This is a guy who just won the Nobel Peace Prize. The frickin' Nobel Peace Prize, guys. I mean, excuse my language, but we were definitely a bunch of racist bigots 50 years ago if we seriously kicked people who just won the Nobel Prize in the groin over how tan their skin was. Thankfully, in 50 years, we have definitely wised up quite a bit. We have stopped going out of our way to be racist and instead... We have actively tried to be anything but racist. Fifty years ago, people would have looked down, wouldn't have looked down upon others for using the N-word. Fifty years ago, people wouldn't have actively criticized celebrities for being racist. Fifty years ago, internet trolls wouldn't have been able to start a firestorm by making some racist post on a site. Because the internet, we know today, did not exist fifty years ago. But... Also, because 50 years ago, we didn't actively go out of our way to stop racism. Clearly, we have become better people, but there is still work to be done. Police brutality against blacks is still shockingly high. Most people still envision drug dealers as black people, when in reality, drug dealers usually have the same skin tone as the people they sell to. Sometimes these instances make us wonder whether or not much has actually changed in the last 50 years. Have we truly overcome racism, or have we simply gone blind to it? Personally, I think we haven't truly overcome racism yet, but I also don't think we are, that we are completely blind to it. As I stated before, we notice when people act racist, intentionally or not, and we do go out of our way not to be racist. We consciously despise racism. However, subconsciously, we act much differently. Subconsciously, whenever we see a young black man strolling down the street, 
we suddenly become absurdly wary or anxious, regardless of the man's innocence or character, we avoid them. We roll up our windows and check to see if our car doors are locked. These actions are extremely racist, but we don't do them consciously. I'd like to believe that the past 50 years of racism have not affected our view of people with different skin tones in the slightest, but unfortunately, they have impacted us on a deeply subconscious level. The majority of lead actors in Hollywood are white. The majority of people on billboards, even in places where the population is predominantly black, are white. This is an issue that we need to deal with if we want to even come close to undoing the damage the past 50 years have inflicted upon us. So my advice to you is to watch yourself. I advise you to make sure that you aren't avoiding young black men who just happen to be strolling down the street. I advise you to go up to them and get to know them, even if it scares you. I advise you to notice and point out how predominantly white-centered the media is. Because in order to fix a subconscious problem, you have to consciously focus on it. morning. Um, so I must admit that initially I was very uncomfortable with the idea of two white teenagers being given a platform to talk about how racism affects us. Um, so today I wanted to talk about what the role of the white voice is um, on the conversa- in the conversation about race. Um, and I think that there are two parts to this role. I think the first part is to listen, because if we don't listen, then we will fail to understand the ugly truth about racism in this country, and we will be willfully blind to violent oppression. I think a good example of the truth getting distorted is the story of Toya Graham. She is the mother who pulled her son, Michael, out of the protests in Baltimore. Um, So a lot of news outlets and blogs and general media... um, have told this story as her being a good mother for pulling her son out of the riots because what he was doing was wrong. But the reason that she pulled her son out is because she was scared the police were going to kill him. Um, She was scared that the police were going to spray pepper spray in his face or hurt him. Um, She was scared of police brutality. And it wasn't a part of what her son was doing. It was the police. Um... So I think the second part to the role of, I guess, the white voice is to be present. Um, I know that race relations and racism can be confusing and unsettling and hard to talk about, um, and I think oppression is always easier to ignore. Uh, I think that it's definitely something hard to talk about, especially whenever you are part of a group that has been the oppressor for a very long time. Um, But checking out of the conversation um, to be able to willfully ignore what has happened and is still happening in places like Baltimore and Ferguson is a great privilege that so many people just don't have. Um, So I think it is our responsibility to be present and to um, stand in solidarity with people who have to face violence and oppression that we will never truly understand. 
And I think that it is our responsibility to um, stand behind, but never in front of, so to speak, um, the people that are working so hard to change racism in this country. Thank you.